0: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. I didn't know that. I didn't either. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. Mm. Interesting. That's why you need Robert Half. Yep. I don't think that's a person. That's the company. Okay, I was confused. Yeah, their specialized recruiting professionals engage with their proprietary AI. Welcome. (laughs) To connect businesses... (laughs) <laughs> of all sizes, with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing, and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. See, at Robert Half, they know talent. I wish I had had Robert Half back in the day oh. when I was hiring. Okay. So No offense, Sona.
1: Oh, it, I feel like you did mean to offend me. <laughs>
0: yes, you wouldn't be here if I had had Robert Half. Visit okay. roberthalf.com today. <laughs>
2: Hi, I'm Hillary Clinton. And hi, my name is Chelsea Clinton. And I feel great, but a little apprehensive about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Wow. It could be that we could become really good friends. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that would mean for my life. <laughs> <laughs> it could also be a great
0: adventure. Could be. It's about could a be. 20% chance Well, you. Well, know, you know, I've had better
2: and worse
3: odds. <laughs> 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 and I feel... Like, I have better odds than my mom. Really? So maybe I'm at like 3070?
4: <laughs> <laughs> Fall is here, hear the yell. Back to school, ring the bell. Brand the shoes, walk and loose, Climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends.
0: Hello there, and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Uh, it's the way to experience Conan O'Brien in a more pleasing fashion <laughs> <laughs> without seeing my face, um, and you can stop it at any time. Not for Sona and me. That's right. Well, you know, I was about to introduce you, Gorley. You didn't let me introduce you. I'm Politics. joined by my trusty interrupter, <laughs> the producer, Matt Gorley. Hi. And uh, Sonam of Sassian, who can barely be bothered to be here?
1: Yeah, hello. Well,
0: you were a little late today. What was going on there?
1: I went to look at a house. You, oh. I don't want to talk about house shopping anymore.
0: Right, because you think it's giving you a bad mojo. No, because
1: I, I hate it. I'm, I'm so unhappy.
0: Well, can I just say, just so that the listeners know a little bit about our world, is that Sona has been and her husband have been looking for a house for would you say seriously like nine months a, a year? A year. And you've looked at. Over 200 houses.
1: Easily. Easily. Yeah. Awful.
0: What if you just went to REI, bought a tent? (laughs) 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 I mean, and that way you have your own place. You can get the feel. They have really nice, have you been to, listen, we're not getting any money from REI. This is completely my own tangent here. My wife says, REI is my happy place. Oh, wow. I love stores that have gear. Yeah, And so I will go, and it's gear I don't use because I don't go camping, I <laughs> yeah. don't go hiking. I get this. But yeah. I love to go and look at their tents. Mm-hmm. They have like 600 tents. Now I'm telling you, I've never bought a tent in my life. And when I used to, you know, when I was a kid, and I went to camp, we had tents and they were terrible. They were leftover from the Korean War and they were made of <laughs> canvas and they leaked. But these tents they have are so incredible, and they have, like, adjoining rooms that fold out. Yeah. And, like, a clock a <laughs> tower. You know, they're just amazing. And then I love to go and look at all of the lost-in-the-wilderness things. Like, this fits inside your boot, but it starts a fire, and this turns into a corned beef sandwich if you add one drop of <laughs> sunflower oil. You know— I love that store. Yeah, and, and again, I'm telling you, not a dime. It's not
4: aspirational. D- is that what it is? Like you're there just thinking like imagining a different life kind of? You yes, want to be yeah. that guy. I want to be the guy who actually uses all that yeah. stuff
0: yeah. And, and who needs a watch that tells me, what my cholesterol is and where i am on a mountain like what elevation yeah. well,
1: why don't you do it you could go camping in the
4: forest <laughs> i'd be killed immediately proposition yeah that's the true. three of us go camping no. and we record a podcast oh i'm busy oh, that day really because no, it's am busy it's that day it's at wait night. This is wait my are, night would now. you really not do it why
1: Going on a trip with the two of you? Yeah, I don't want to do that.
4: Why not? Wait, I, don't know. I understand going on a trip with him would be problematic, but you have an issue no. with going with me.
1: Listen, I feel like the two of you would talk about like World War II the whole time I see. Yeah. and about like right.
0: I don't know about what? Just that
1: I don't know. uniforms, the <laughs> you... uniforms people wore, and the <laughs> what are you talking about? The chairs people sat on and the model of the knives they held. It would I don't have been know. a
4: been k bar probably from World War II. Oh, God, yeah. this
1: is awful. No, I'm not never
0: going on a trip with the two. We of you. wouldn't talk who would talk about the chair, speaking of which, yeah. by the way, mm-hmm. the uh, chair that General Lee sat on mm. at oh the signing God. of Appomattox? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, do you know who took it as a souvenir? Who? General George Armstrong oh. Custer. Oh, my God. Uh, he got it as a keepsake. He wow. took it and walked away with it, only to die in 1876. In July, to be exact. Oh. No, I think, uh, I think we would actually have a really good time. If we would. You know, I think it depends on how much we brought. I don't want to do the real survivalist thing. No. Okay, let's go find a no. snake and eat it. Yeah, I don't but want no to do glamping
4: that. either. Just actual camping. Uh, what do you mean no glamping? Well, no yurts with baths. No, no, no. I don't want to
0: do a yurt with baths, t- but R- I want to R- y- bring style. But I'd like to bring some high quality wine. Yeah. Can Can you, oh, sounds good. Would you
1: poop in the forest?
0: I don't do that. I'm on television. <laughs> <laughs> he poops on television. No, but we I don't. If we go
1: camping and there's no bathroom, the would you to... dig a hole? No, I don't have...
0: I don't have those needs. I'm someone who exists digitally on the podcast what and on television.
4: You're AI? I don't
0: urinate. I don't defecate. <laughs> okay. I
4: don't. You don't defecate?
0: No, I don't. I, I simply do not. I am what you think I am. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's the cleaned up version of Popeye.
1: I am what you think I am. That's
0: what a Popeye originally said. I am what you think. And then it, it it got perverted, and he was at sea a long time. And he was eating so much canned spinach, which, by the way, back then, had all kinds of bad stuff in it. And it became I am what I am. Poor Popeye. And then he lost one of his eyes. We don't know how.
4: Aww. Anyway. Well, from defecation into uh, former Secretary of State? <laughs> should we do this? Oh, God. There's no good way. We can't. <laughs>
1: Can't do this one.
4: Well, yeah, we can. Yeah, well. <clears throat> also, th- we were doing
0: really well and perfectly fine. And then you brought up pooping out of nowhere. So I'm thanks for sorry. nothing. Thanks for nothing.
1: But it is part of camping, is pooping in a hole.
0: Would you just stop? I'm <laughs> trying You to- kept going with
1: it. You said you don't urinate or defecate. We
0: have high-class guests today, and you're being incredibly inappropriate. <laughs> Seriously. And so I just want you to try and clean up your act.
1: You rolled with the with the pooping. Yeah, and stop saying it. it. Be going. quiet. Stop saying
0: it. Stop saying it. Poop.
1: You poop. You were talking about pooping.
0: <laughs> pee pee. You two are the worst.
1: Pee poopy. Poopy pee 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 poop poop, poop poop.
0: My guests today are two extraordinary women: Hillary Clinton, the former Secretary of State. You're both going to hell the first female senator for New York, and the first woman to earn a major party's nomination for president, and Chelsea Clinton, the best-selling author and global health advocate. Together, they've authored the book of gutsy women, favorite stories of courage and resilience, Hillary and Chelsea Clinton. Glad that you're just coming into the room now and you didn't hear the introduction. It's so nice to have you here. Welcome. Talk about how things have changed. When you played basketball, they made you play half-court basketball? Half-court basketball, yes. And that was for a specific reason. Women had to play half-court
2: basketball. Why? We never really knew. They had all kinds of excuses. The excuses were, we think it would be bad for women's hearts, uh, we what? don't think women can run that far. I mean, this—these were <laughs> all the things we were told. That's insane. And so as we've been going around on the book tour, yeah, so many uh, women of a certain age, like Cecile Richards, our mm-hmm. our great friend, uh, just interviewed us in in Austin, Texas, and she said. Ah, I played half-court basketball, and she was, like, a good basketball player. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was, you know, mediocre, but I loved the game. And so you'd have three on each side. You would have to pass over the center line in order to get the ball to, you know, your forwards to score. And the whole thing was so ludicrous because in our rules, you also could only dribble three times because apparently that was
0: also bad for our hearts. They, they're thinking, like, it's bad for your heart. So basically, <laughs> basically, we know that you. it's okay for you to give birth yeah, multiple children that's right but uh, three dribbles on the basketball that's it. and I think that should do it yeah. sweetie exactly that's insane well, you
1: know,
3: sexism has never been about science no
0: <laughs> I'm telling you I'm a scientist four dribbles will kill a woman
2: exactly
0: <laughs> I played quarter court basketball <laughs> that was my own decision it just, people saw me moving and they, I looked like a large bird that had been injured um, uh, Maybe, uh, wow! You
2: know, maybe someday we can play half court. I'll show you how really? to play. Really? Anytime yeah. you want to play half Absolutely. court with me. yeah.
0: And how many dribbles do I get?
2: Oh, three, if you're going to play by the half court <laughs> rules.
0: <laughs> All right, well, you heard it here. I will be playing half court, three dribble <laughs> basketball with <laughs> Secretary Clinton, and you'll see that uh, very soon on the internet. <laughs> That's uh, true. You know, we just, uh, we just sat down. It's really lovely having you both here. Thank you. And uh, very impressed by the book, the book of gutsy women. I was stunned at the number of women in this book uh, that obviously there were women that I expected to be in the book. And then there were a bunch of names that I, I'll admit, I was not aware. I was not aware of a, a bunch of these names and I would read their story and I was completely blown away. And I have a 16-year-old daughter who is uh, not thrilled with being my friend. Uh, (laughs) That will We
3: we grow out of it. We
0: grow out of it. Do we? Do we grow out (laughs) of it? We do. Yes. That's part of the process. Okay. Well, I want to start there because um, I'm very impressed that a mother and a daughter wrote a book together. Because if I wrote a book with my mom, I think the title would be, Why Won't He Sit Up Straight? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and why didn't he consider law school? And so uh, there'd be, we would do it. We but would. that get, means you cleaned your room. Uh, no, I was not. I was not great <laughs> oh, at cleaning okay. my room. There's a lot of things I, and so uh, as you know, uh, Chelsea, there's stuff when you have, there's daughter, mother stuff that is so fraught. That's my wife's favorite word is fraught. She, uh, my wife and my daughter can get into something that's about nothing seemingly. Mm -hmm. And my son and I will walk in and they're suddenly both crying weeping because of something involving a teaspoon or a sugar spoon, (laughs) and my son and I just silently back out of the room Mm -hmm. because it's fraught, but you guys managed to pull this off. Were you worried at all? Because there's obviously got to be differences in styles in the way you approach writing and the way you approach building something like this. Mm, Well, I I should let Chelsea go first because she was on the receiving end of
2: fraughtness, and so I think (laughs) uh, she would have a, a, a certain perspective But it is part of the, you know, whole effort to seek independence and find your own way and construct your own
0: identity. Um, So I'm not at all surprised. Here would be the difference. The difference, Secretary Clinton, is that you can say, just had an argument, she stormed out when she was 16 or 17. Find out from the Secret Service where she is. <laughs>
2: That's true. That's an
0: advantage. Yeah, it you know is what an mean? advantage. Oh.
3: I also think <laughs> I realize now, particularly as a parent, um, you know, and and my husband, as he would acknowledge, was quite rebellious. And I, I think I was painfully unrebellious. Mm-hmm. So I never really stormed out. In fact, I had a mom who would come in on Friday nights when I was 16 and say, you know, you really don't need to do your physics homework. Like, you should go be with your friends. But I was so nerdy and, Mm -hmm. like, painfully type A, and so I really needed my mom to kind of prod and push me, and I'm so thankful that she did because I think um, so many of the friendships that I still treasure – you wouldn't have been as meaningful in high school or throughout my life if I hadn't had my mom continually kind of pushing me out into the world. You were doing hoodie. that? You
0: were saying you've got to get out there, you've got to hit the clubs? Come on, let's <laughs> Well,
3: not quite that. <laughs>
2: well, more
3: just like go over to your friend's house and watch a movie and make sure you're back by 10 o'clock. <laughs> oh, okay.
2: No, well, look, I think you, you made a, a funny point, which was a, an accurate one. Um, so she lived her teenage years out in the White House, which yeah. is a— Bizarre place to be a teenager, um, Mm -hmm. obviously, but she did uh, have Secret Service protection, Mm -hmm. which meant that uh, if she did go to a party um, or she did go out, you know, I didn't have to worry all that much. But it, you know, look, I, I think it's much harder being a parent of a teenager today. I think even forget about growing up in the White House. I just think it's harder no matter where you live uh, with your kids. There's just so much else going on in the world to demand their attention, distract them, create anxiety, depression about they're not good enough, they're not
0: this enough or that enough. And really, so much of it's the Internet. It That's is what we have so found.
2: much, Conan. It is so much the Internet.
0: What happens is my wife and I made all these decisions about we were what we were going to do. And my wife is an amazing mom, and I think we've, she's done an amazing job, and I haven't gotten too much in the way. But what has happened is technology and the internet has blown up so much that our rule about no screens can just, it becomes impractical. you got to let them watch some screens. They have to have phones somewhat for their safety and to communicate and be part of the world. But then it just gets, it's it's fighting a constant battle, which you haven't. Hit yet? So I can talk yeah. very condescendingly to you.
3: Well, and and I hope give advice because right now we do exercise total dictatorial control. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, my kids think it's like a huge deal when they get to watch something and not anything they have kind of agency over. But I know that's because they're five three. And well, I mean the three month old doesn't watch anything. But like I know that will change, and I know we have to be ready for that.
0: Oh, the other big change agent is grandparents. Grandparents love to slide in and correct me if I'm wrong, secretary. And you to. It's fun to slide in, and when the your when your kids are gone and you're looking after the grandkids, I've seen this with both sets of grandparents. They love to give them everything we don't give them mm. because you get away scot free right. and you're a hero.
2: Absolutely. I, I think <laughs> it's one of the joys of being a grandparent is yeah. to be a little subversive. Yes. Uh, I had that experience with my mom and Bill's mom when it yep. came to Chelsea. They literally would give me just, you know, of course, of course, and then go off and do exactly the opposite of what right. I had asked them uh, to do or, and even more, not do. Um, so, yeah, we we feel lucky to be close enough to our grandkids that we can see them a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we do have them, look, if, if it's two on two, you're outnumbered. Uh, so whatever we can do to just make them happy, we're willing to do. So right. pizza for lunch and dinner, that's fine. You're we basically
0: admitting to breaking
2: all the rules breaking, that Chelsea set up yes, yes. when Chelsea she left. Chelsea sets all the rules. Yes. And then, you know, we kind of say, Oh, well, just this once. It wouldn't make that big a difference.
0: Right. Yeah, An eclair for breakfast. (laughs) Whatever. Perfectly.
2: Just so they're happy.
3: There's unlimited octonauts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Screen
2: time does help grandparents deal with, you know,
0: (laughs) all that goes on in a little kid's life. uh, I relate to you, Secretary Glenn, because I know that you had a difference in working style for this book. And I relate more to your style. I know that Chelsea's all oh, about- I'm
3: outnumbered.
0: Well, I'm sorry, but- <laughs> okay. should have done. You should have done your research. I am 88 years old. <laughs> I've just had a ton of and surgery. And look really good for you. your age. Thank you. It's a fortune to keeping this, this thing This is why going. you live
3: in Los Angeles. Exactly, yeah. The
0: Irish don't move to Los Angeles to look younger. I'm, if I go outside for five minutes, uh, you can smell cooking ham. <laughs> but but I, uh, I know that you work on uh, your high tech, You've grown up in that world and you're familiar with it, so you're working off a computer and then you would ask for your mom's draft and she would give you handwritten Yes,
2: I write in longhand for uh, books, you know, obviously for other things, you know, using the computer is fine, but for a book— I can only think if my hand is actually holding a pen and moving across a page. Chelsea knew that, but I don't think she realized quite how much a burden it would place on her because, you know, she is, you know, she loves Google I live Docs. in 2019. Yeah, she thinks she's <laughs> a very like? modern person. <laughs> What's that like
0: in 2019? <laughs> Tell me about that. Because I don't, I write stuff longhand and then a carrier pigeon
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: takes it to somebody. And uh, I mean, I want to go as old school as possible. I would use a quill if I could. <laughs> I really would. I, it's what I'm comfortable with. I don't know why I'm such a throwback, mm, but
3: I'm not going to try to find a quill and inkpot and send it to you for Christmas,
0: Conan, and then I expect you to send
3: a photograph of yourself with the quill.
0: Uh, guess what? You will lose this wager because I will oh, no, use the quill and then I will write you, and then you'll people will intervene and tell me to. Well,
3: quill. that that means that the odds of our friendship are just going to go up. I right? Know, exactly. so.
0: Yeah, I uh, wanted to quickly tell you. Uh, one of the reasons why this book resonates with me is that my mom, Ruth O'Brien, who uh, came from a very middle-class uh, family in Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, got a full scholarship to Faster, and then she was one of the early women to go to Yale Law School.
2: Oh, wow. And
0: she graduated in 1956. And she told a story, and she's always been this heroic figure in my life. Um, I love my dad, too, and he's a, he's a great man. But uh, my mom, she told this story that in around 1957, 58, when she started working at a law firm in Boston. She's a graduate of Yale Law School. She, grad, she, she did very well. She was working at a high-powered firm in Boston. She went to a meeting of the other lawyers. She's the only woman. They're all working. They finish their work, and it's time to break for lunch. They all go into the dining room, but it's a men's-only dining room. So they set up a card table, and my mom sat at the card table. And she said uh, two of the other young associates were very nice, so they sat with me at the card table, literally a a kid's card table. What always blew me away is not just the story that if that happened today, that would be a hundred million dollar lawsuit. What blew me away is that my mother had no anger about it, none. She said, that's just what it was. And I think one of the things that resonates with me in this book is optimism. Well, that's, really one of the themes of the book, which you picked up on, uh,
2: because despite what they encountered and the obstacles that they had to overcome, they remained optimistic. They remained optimistic about their own goals, their own purpose in life, and they remained optimistic that they could make a positive difference. And I think part of the beauty of the 103 women's stories that we tell is that there's something for everybody to relate to. Uh, But I'm thinking about the story of your mom, because at the time that she was practicing law, uh, late 50s, Mm -hmm. she was in a very small group of women who had— Uh, Gone to law school, had gotten jobs. Remember, Sandra Day O'Connor was basically told she couldn't get a job as a lawyer; she could work as a secretary. uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, same kind of experiences. So, when they got that job, they wanted to prove themselves, and they had to do that by sitting at the card table, you know, showing that they were willing to, you know, do the work and take a little bit of the blowback that. Institutionally, they still had to deal with because they wanted to prove themselves, and this was the women of a prior generation's, you know, means of demonstrating that they belonged. And, you know, now we can take a lot of optimism, but we can also say part of what we've had to do since then is to knock down all the barriers mm-hmm. as many as we can, so that a woman like your mom uh, wouldn't find herself in that position. Uh, she would be judged, you know, solely on the basis of you know, how her work uh, measured up. So the optimism is really deep. You know, we say these are favorite stories of courage and resilience. Uh, You have to be optimistic uh, to have courage and resilience, uh, because lots of times it's just easier to walk away, or when you're knocked down, stay down, or when you're, you know, somewhat uh, uh, demeaned by go sit sit in that card table, not in the men's, you know, room. You got to take a deep breath and you got to decide what's important to you. And you've got to be optimistic enough that the path you choose is going to turn out out well for you and help others along the way
3: you know and Conan one of the when we write about Vera Rubin went to Vassar Mm -hmm. around the same time as your mom and she knew she wanted to pursue a doctorate in physics and she really wanted to go to Princeton although the faculty supported her um, she was turned down because uh, even then uh there were no women allowed into the kind of Princeton physics PhD program and it wouldn't be until 1975 when that changed. Yeah, So it wouldn't be until after Title IX And uh, we write about Title IX in the book and it's kind of profound effect on athletics that kind of before Title IX in the early 1970s, there were about 700 girls playing competitive high school soccer. And last year there were Mm 390,000. But it also had a huge impact on opening opportunities for women in academia. And Vera Rubin is considered kind of one of the Nobel Prizes inexplicable misses. I mean, she helped prove dark matter which is the majority of the universe. And yet kind of she wasn't recognized for that. But one of her kind of proudest achievements, as she said, kind of at the end of her life, were the truly hundreds of young scientists and particularly women that she'd mentored. And part of what we wanted to show in this book kind of about these gutsy women is that so often kind of their optimism was expressed through kind of Breaking down barriers and bringing others along—it yeah. really was, it was about a sense kind of, of
0: community. Yeah,
3: the community and building the future and empowering the future in a really profound way.
0: What's fascinating to me: these things that we think existed a quote long time ago just happened. Secretary Clinton, you're writing about how when you were a young girl, there was one comic in the in the in the newspaper which was mm-hmm. Brenda Starr, right? And Brenda Starr, no one was looking at Brenda Starr when I was a kid. I mean, I was a big fan. Uh, <laughs> but nobody was re- you know, but Brenda Starr was really the one comic book character that was sort of meant to empower young women. And then there's Nancy Drew, and then that's kind of it. And then you have to go looking. That was absolutely the world I grew up in. And that was one of the
2: fascinating differences between... Chelsea and me, when it came to thinking back about who inspired me when I was a little girl. And there weren't very many women in our um, school lessons when I was in elementary school or junior high school, Mm -hmm. even high school that I can remember. I mean, you know, famous women would be mentioned like Elizabeth I or Cleopatra. But other than that, there wasn't a lot of discussion at all about, you know. Roles that women had played. Amelia Earhart, who I discovered when I was a little girl. Margaret Burke White, who Mm -hmm. was the first war correspondent who traveled the uh, world following the uh, incredible... uh, exploits of uh, the American soldiers in World War II, Uh, Helen Keller, Mm -hmm. uh, who I learned about on a TV show, Margaret Chase Smith, the Republican senator from uh, Maine who took on Joe McCarthy. I would come across these women and my mother would be very encouraging. She would tell me about people she had read about or she would take me to the library. But that was beyond my personal experience. My personal experience was the only women I knew who worked outside the home were my teachers. And, you know my uh, public librarians. I, I never knew a woman lawyer like your mom. That was just not in
0: my it atmosphere. Like, it would have been like seeing an alien. If it you would, saw it, a I woman wouldn't have even understood or, it.
2: Yeah, yeah. A woman doctor, no. A woman a lawyer, no. A woman who owned a business, no. I just didn't know them. I know they were there, but they were not part of my upbringing. And by the time Chelsea was a little girl, that had begun to change. And there were a lot more role models and a lot more uh, examples that you could actually point to and say, you could do this, or you could be that. I mean, one of our favorite characters uh, in the book of Gutsy Women is Sally Ride. And yeah. she famously said, uh, no, something hard, that we talk about a lot. Right. It's hard to imagine what you can't see.
1: Right.
3: And when I was growing up in Little Rock, yes, my teachers and the public librarians were still predominantly women. But you know, when I was in first grade, uh, our mayor was a woman, Um, my principal, was a woman, my pediatrician was a woman who then later went on to be the head of the children's hospital in Arkansas. And my mother also didn't have to work as hard as her mother had had to work to kind of bring role models into her life. Right. They were readily
0: accessible. They were
3: readily accessible. I mean, one of my earliest memories, Conan, is going to see Geraldine Ferraro in 1984 when she came to campaign in Little Rock. And so it was just so much easier for my mother to help me imagine what was possible because it was in my
2: lived kind of everyday life. Right. And, and you know, she did go to space camp when she I was did go to space camp. Oh
0: my god, my son uh, went to a, a kind of a space camp, yeah. but it's the same thing that that uh, there was probably a time where twenty five thirty years ago, if you did go, it would seem odd, you know. Like, well, what is yeah, she? I just doing? didn't really
3: care about seeming odd. I was obsessed with <laughs> kind of outer space and Sally Ride, and yeah. so I went to. Space camp in Huntsville, Alabama, and it was awesome. And I am sure that
0: a lot of people in my
3: school were like, she's so weird. And I just, like, thankfully could have cared less I'm about I'm here to tell you that uh, being
0: thought of as weird when you're young often turns out. Does yeah. that, that yeah. turns out okay? Uh, well, better for you than for me. <laughs>
2: I don't know about but that. Well,
0: I'm just saying. I'm getting less apprehensive every minute. I, thank you. I can see your shoulders dropping. Yeah, yeah, uh, very you relaxed. You seem, uh, you really <laughs> seem like you're starting to accept me. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the things I want to ask you about in terms of feeling weird is I know that you went out one Halloween as Joan of Arc. Oh, I did. How old were you when you went out as Joan of Arc? And here's my second question. Did anyone in your family explain to you what happened to Joan of Arc? (laughs) I think I, I did know the end of her story. Because um, it would be really sad if you yeah, went, I Mommy, mean, Daddy, I'm Joan of Arc. Oh, that's great, honey. Yeah. Can you tell me what happened at the end? Um, what kind of candy did you get? Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. What happened at the end? Yeah,
3: my uh, grandmother, my mom's mom, uh, was a hugely important person in my life for many reasons, uh, including that she made my Halloween costumes. And I had all sorts of, maybe this is a perfect continuation of how kind of, zany and nerdy and weird I was as a kid like I was a peacock and an ice cream cone and Joan of Arc I think like in three right. consecutive years yes. um, you're like yes you were zany and a bird and weird a dairy too. product
0: <laughs> and then this martyr yes.
3: <laughs> And 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 a my, natural one two three so I don't I mean I was probably like eight or nine when I was Joan of Arc <laughs> and um and I had the whole like white tunic with the red cross and my grandmother made me uh what looked like a chain link belt <laughs> and I had a shield and a kind of hat
0: right, right.
3: Um, and I just remember that that was a really frustrating Halloween because i kept having to explain who I was <laughs> yeah
0: uh, those are the worst Yeah, you're like well okay I was
3: like trick First- or treat and you're like who are you and I was
0: like Joan of Arc let's talk about the papacy <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: it's about 600 years ago uh, you have to sit people down and really talk about it <laughs> If you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. You know, it's only a matter of time until your check engine light comes on, which could equal an expensive repair bill, and a new engine can cost up to $6,000. Don't
1: I know it.
0: But this is why you need this product I'm about to mention right now. Okay. Car Car mm. CarShield offers plans with low monthly rates that you can pay for your expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. It's so nice to have that protection of Shield. I know. I believe, that's my belief, Some people have other beliefs, maybe religious beliefs. I think Car Shield. Car Shield plans provide protection on up to 5,000 major parts and systems, including items like transmission, Mm. engine, even your entertainment system. Mm. Just call Car Shield and choose the mechanic to do the work. Car Shield administrators will handle the rest and save you money. Look, I saw your car today. You've got a beautiful car, but you've got to haul your family around in this car. This is a vital piece of machinery for you. You need Car Shield.
1: I do, and you know, I you know I don't take care of my cars very well, so Car Shield it would definitely come in.
0: You know, handy. and also with their A rating from the BBB, don't ask me. Car Shield is the name you can trust to save you money on covered auto repairs. Now's the time to make the smart choice to protect yourself from the sky high auto repair bills. Visit CarShield.com/slash/conan, save twenty percent today. Again, that's CarShield.com/slash/conan to save twenty percent. Visit carshield.com slash Conan to lock in your price today. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. This is unbelievable. I've been talking about this idea for years.
1: I know, I want you to explain it more. I can.
0: Okay. With NetSuite... You reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required access from anywhere. I had this idea years ago. (laughs) I was telling people, no one listened to me. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems. Remember when I said that? Yeah. Because you've got one unified Unified business business management management suite. suite. You said that. Yeah. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, man. Yeah. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com slash Conan. NetSuite.com slash Conan. I'm going to say it one more time just for emphasis. NetSuite.com. I wanted to, um, just the personal experience that I had uh, that involves uh, both of you, that I, this always struck me uh, and I've recounted it many times to people, but uh, in the 90s, during uh, your administration, uh, your and your husband's administration, I, I was invited, very kindly invited to uh, an Irish-American dinner at the White House. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this. This is, you know, huge deal. I'm not getting any invites these days, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, and um, uh, check the mailbox every day. Uh, but I, I went to this event at the White House, and there was a receiving line, and I shook hands uh, with uh, the president, and with you, and we're all sitting, I believe I could be wrong, but I think we were sitting outside or someplace that seemed like it was sort of outside, beautiful night, what a great occasion, I'm so aware, and then at some point, you walking, you're you walking sort of from table to table saying hi to people, and you're a kid, and you walked over to our table, and we all said, oh, hi, hi, Chelsea, how are you? And I don't, you know, was um, didn't know who we were, but you were very Very nice. And you said, yeah, I was trying to do my homework upstairs, (laughs) and there's just all this noise, but this (laughs) happens whenever they have state dinners, and it's hard to concentrate, and my mind exploded. And I think you also said you had tried to practice an instrument. I think you had an instrument to some- It's
3: possible. And you
0: were like, you know, some and some impractical instrument, like a xylophone or something. And you're like, I'm upstairs and I'm trying to do this, but ugh, state dinners. And I just thought-
3: I'm a terrible actress Gordon. so it's just whatever is in my head doesn't come no, no, out I, of my what mouth. I, what
0: I love, first of all, everybody at the at the table was, loved it. And I've never forgotten it. And I thought, what a great, my first thought was- your parents are doing a good job. I don't know much, but your parents are doing a really good job because you are a kid. And you're a kid who's living in the White House whose attitude is, Ugh, I'm trying to get this stuff done, and this is annoying. Because <laughs> the, you know, the prime minister of, of Ireland is here, and all these That's Irish so people. And don't, <laughs> they know, don't
3: they know I have a test tomorrow? I have a test tomorrow. And I, I just, I really thought that— Back to that, being so nerdy that I was like, I— if this is gonna, like, you know, take my grade from A to B, that's just not acceptable. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And
0: you probably like, and I'm talking to this guy who's on, what, at 1230 at night? Who even watches them? Yeah. Who are you? Where's, what happened to Letterman, you know? And uh, <laughs> I
3: was like, yeah, you're, I, you're giving me too many cool points. Okay, well, whatever. Too many cool points. Uh,
0: but I, but anyway, I was very uh, well, I'm impressed that- i was so- No, no, you were great. Home, what, my, homework
3: my, my, and instrument focused.
0: No, I guess what the, the point I was making is I saw this snapshot Of oh this is a tried to be normal family who is normalizing the least normal situation in the world and how do you do that
2: it it is really hard but I think you know for us it was uh, an effort since neither Bill nor I had had any kind of. Opportunity to live the way a president lives, you know, mm-hmm. with people taking care of you and cooking for you and doing all of the uh, stuff that makes a huge house run. So we just were determined to try to make her life as normal as possible. So yeah, she had uh, chores. She had chores. She had to. How do you have chores at the White House? You got to clean your own room. Which, no, you no, don't. Yes, yes you <laughs> do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. C- yes. Calling then, in
4: Delta Force. Yeah, clean call this room.
2: it. I mean, you know, this child is going to be. Uh, <laughs> got some Navy
0: SEALs in here yeah, to clean Christ. this.
2: Yeah,
0: no. <laughs> no, there are so many workarounds you could have used, Chelsea. Yeah. If you but then, to.
2: but then we also, you know, we said she had to learn how to do. Things like you know, wash your own clothes and iron them, and learn to cook, and my God. so yeah, because otherwise you could come out of that experience like totally um, right. warped, warped, not only warped, just kind of dependent on other people Helpless. to take care yeah. of you, and yeah. Yeah. and who wants to be that? Yeah, no,
0: well, uh, I mean, uh, I'd like to take a shot at it. <laughs> <laughs> too, it's too late. It's too late. No, it's not. <laughs> you have no. My ability for sloth is unrivaled. I would like to take a shot at. It. <laughs>
2: well, I, Keep trying to get an invitation to the White House, and I can, tell some, I can tell you some places to hide. They won't find you for months, and who knows what might come from that? Great,
0: yeah. If you could, we'll have a talk off mic. Yeah, um, okay. you'll tell right. me, Yeah, I don't want
2: everybody to go. There's a
0: room. Just yeah. pull on its uh, <laughs> this system. like they're, the like Britannica. they're what are
2: called safe rooms. You know, hidden spaces that wow. you know you wouldn't know are there. Great. So yeah, I can
0: help you on that. Okay, thank you very yeah. much. And this
2: bring is, back the Irish to the White House. <laughs> I mean, really, what is no, no, the no.
0: problem here? I, well, I am Irish, and no, I don't. Think the Irish should be. (laughs) God, we
2: had so much fun at those parties. Though we had a party every St. Patrick's Day, we had the state dinner that you're talking about. We really, we really had a good. It was really,
0: uh, it was uh, really magical, and um, I was very impressed with just before the podcast started. You're talking about yeah, you know talking to your kids over the internet and how that's frustrating because you want to be there right now. it's like the same thing that my wife would be talking about in this very same situation. And I think that gets lost. It does. A lot. It's so easy and probably always has been, but I think it's even easier
2: now to get reduced to a caricature. And sometimes it's a positive caricature, sometimes it's a negative, but it doesn't do justice to the full human being that somebody is in whatever area of uh, ent- enterprise, whether it's politics or entertainment. Uh, and it, it always surprises me because, you know, I'll meet somebody and you can see them kind of looking at me through slightly narrowed eyes and, mm-hmm. you know, I'll say hello and talk to them and everything. They'll say, you're so much nicer than I thought you'd be. And I said, yeah, "Yeah." I said, I'm sorry about that. That's too bad. Um, I'm sorry that you had that impression. But it's better than the people who uh, think that I've killed you know, at least 50 people or done some other crazy stuff because they see it on the internet. And so when you meet, when my friends meet somebody, especially during the last campaign, they'd be knocking on doors saying, please vote for Hillary Clinton. Oh, sorry, I can't do that. She kills people. And they say, oh, yeah, I've known her since sixth grade. I don't think that's true. They say, oh, yeah but I saw it on the internet. I saw it on the internet. And so it's, it's a really complicated world we find ourselves in right now to make sense of it, to hold on to the humanity that each one of us has and wants to keep, and to try to figure out how we're going to create much better and fuller images of people who are in the public
0: eye. It's really tough. I think we're at this time, American politics has always been nasty. That's not new. And uh, I always like to point out to people that George Washington had a very difficult second term where people criticized him. I thought, it's George Washington. He's the first one. There was nothing really controversial at that (laughs) time about George Washington. And yet the second term, people were like, really, George Washington? What has he done for us lately? (laughs) And, um, you know, well, he he won the revolution. Yeah, I guess he did. But what since then, you know? And uh, what about, what's with the teeth? And it was, (laughs) it's just this, uh, uh, so people have always struggled, I think, with that. I have this theory that the internet is something that, uh, has outpaced human biology. I don't think our brains are wired to handle it. I
2: think you're right. I think it's it's uh, a sense of evolution. So we are now glued to these screens. We carry them around with us everywhere we go, and we get information. We send information, but we're all addicted. I mean, there's a yeah. there's an addiction to this dependence upon uh, social media and you know the screens on which we uh, read it. And it is uh, especially an experiment on kids. I mean, those of us who you know lived without the internet for decades, you know, we're still addicted. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the same impact on a developing brain. Right. And there's now evidence that this addiction uh, actually changes the way the brain develops. Reroutes neurons. It yeah. It Does. Yeah. And and so I don't know what we're going to do about it if we had. Uh, you know, if we had a, a sensible, normal government, we'd be looking into that to try to figure out what advice we would give to people and what could be done about it. Uh, so we're going to have to figure out how to do it ourselves, I guess.
0: Yeah. Are you going to be, I'm, I'm guessing, my guess is you would, no screens is the best way to go for a while when children are growing up. And then at a certain point, you have to start making adjustments.
3: And, and I think, Conan, we have to help teach kids in our families and also expecting our schools to be kind of part of this kind of purposeful education so that kids can navigate like what is kind of truth and opinion and kind of outright falsehoods in an era where that's not just something kind of that they're reading or they're hearing, but that it is almost surrounding them because of this addiction. Um, Because one of the things I really worry about is just the erosion of of truth everywhere. And that, you know, the reason we're even having a debate about climate change is because somehow like it's okay to interrogate and disbelieve science, which right. I think is absurd. No, or- it did
0: it did feel like we I grew up in the 70s, eighties, and I was in a good public school system, and I just kept thinking, oh, we're, we're moving forward. I I remembered thinking I had friends that were African American from, you know, uh, from Roxbury. And I remembered thinking, well, we we took care of racism, right? Mm, I mean right. I I'm sad that I but, but I really remember it being about 14 and thinking, well, racism and evolution. We figured that out with the Scopes trial. So we're just moving ahead, you know, and then it's just, it feels like the tide surges forward and then it pulls back in this way that's uh, profoundly depressing at times. Yeah. Which no, is I why don't. I want to get back to optimism. Yeah, let's get back to optimism <laughs> because, because, because
2: fundamentally we are. <laughs> because,
0: uh, well, you know, there's so many people in the book. I didn't know. Secretary Glenn, about your uh, like lifelong attachment to Eleanor Roosevelt. And right. I, I, I am a big history buff and I'm a, a big uh, Roosevelt aficionado. And so I was really interested that you honed in on Eleanor Roosevelt as someone who I could see in the 19, not just the 30s, but also the 40s and the 50s, and really into the, until Early she dies 60s, in 1962. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is this woman who's breaking all the rules. And her advice, one of the things that she said in the book that I it feels to me like you've taken to heart is, you got to have a thick skin. Right. Like, skin as thick as a rhinoceros, mm-hmm. I think she used to mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, you might as well do what you want because you'll get criticized anyway.
2: 100%. You know, she was somebody who I knew about when I was growing up. I knew that she was married to President Roosevelt. I knew that she... Uh, visited American troops in the South Pacific. I knew kind of bits and pieces, but I didn't realize how courageous and resilient she was until some biographies started coming out Um, And it wasn't until like the 70s and 80s that they pieced together all of her work and her writing and began to provide a fuller portrait of this woman who uh, overcame being orphaned at a very early age, uh, being kind of rejected, uh, having an interesting but challenging life being a Roosevelt. I mean, at her wedding to Franklin, her Uncle Teddy, you know, gave her away. I mean, she just had all of this weight of... Mm -hmm. Uh, responsibility on her, which she rose to fulfill. And she was such an advocate for people who were left out, even with all the good things that Franklin Roosevelt did during the Great Depression to try to lift people up. There were lots of people who were left out uh, and left behind by even the programs that were passed. But I zero in on the book on her singular accomplishment uh, after her husband died, after Truman became president, and he asked her to be part of a very small group that was going to um, plan the United Nations, you know, so that they could try to prevent the wars of the 20th century from ever happening again. And she was one of the people who wrote the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Mm-hmm. And if you want to feel, you know, a sense of pride uh, to know that right after the Second World War, all these countries that have been devastated by war, populations that had been wiped out in the Holocaust. I mean, people said, we can't let this happen, so how are we going to do it? Yeah, we'll build institutions like the UN or NATO or something, but we need to lift our sights. We need to look at what we could do to Mm -hmm. treat each other with dignity. And, you know, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is the single document that has been printed more uh, in the course of its existence than anything else. I mean, obviously, you know, the Bible's been around for a long time, so it outranks uh, everything, uh, but the Universal Declaration is, you know, way up there and so Eleanor Roosevelt continues to be an inspiration uh, to me and at the end of her life she started getting you know very uh, outspoken about you know what she expected our country to be able to do to live up to those um, those values. So she's somebody that deserves to be read about on her own.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know another person in the book, Greta Thunberg, uh, mm. who is obviously what I liked about the book is that there are names I expected to see. You know, and you'd say like, well, Harriet Tubman, you'd expect to see in the book, and there are all these uh, iconic women that I would think, yes, they're going to be in the book. Uh, Greta Thunberg is a name I didn't even know a year ago. You know, and what's amazing to me about her is she's so young right. and I feel like that is part of her secret weapon is that it's very hard to dismiss someone. I mean, first of all, it's very hard to attack a child, you know. And, Although and people do. They do. I know they do. Including but Including our
3: president. Yeah. But, it, ma-
0: but it makes it—, it it prov- it provides somewhat of a challenge to them, maybe a little bit. Do you know that it's a, and and it's always this. There's this ancient wisdom that that children speak the truth. Mm-hmm. I, I sometimes think there can't be a better climate advocate than someone who's that young, who clearly is not in anybody's pocket, mm-hmm. and who's clearly just saying, "Don't stop messing up my planet. Stop it." and you know, that's, she's one of the people in the book that probably, you know, I, I wasn't, she wasn't on my radar a year ago. And mm-hmm. I, so I love that this book encompasses the iconic figures from 200 years ago uh, and someone who's just on the scene right now who hasn't done her best work yet.
3: And is challenging all of us to be part of the solution, and also is so fiercely focused on the science. Right. I do think part of her superpower is being kind of young and unbowed and just kind of relentlessly saying, you know, how could we not have done more? And how can we let any minute pass given like the crisis that we're confronting? And my mom and I were both so inspired by her kind of initially very lonely effort outside the Swedish parliament, you know, as a single climate striker. And then, you know, a few other people joined and then a few more and then a few Mm -hmm. more. And just this deep belief she had that her actions could make a difference. Yeah.
0: There was something I was thinking about with this book, which is, um, you know, and obviously someone who I expected to be in the book, Maya Angelou, I believe it was your suggestion to your husband, hey, wouldn't it be great if Maya Angelou uh, read a poem at the first inaugural?
2: Right, right. You know, she that was, that,
0: you, was, that was you, yes?
2: Yeah, she um, uh, was somebody who I came across years before because of her amazing memoir, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, uh, talking about her uh, life growing up and a little town in South Arkansas called Stamps and you know the racism and the and and the inequality that she had to cope with but then being you know brutally uh, raped mm-hmm. uh, as a young child she stopped talking she would she became mute and i find her so inspiring because here's this little kid and literally she could have just sat in a corner and and n- never come out of it but instead while she refused to talk or thought she couldn't talk anymore, Uh, she started reading every book she could find and she started memorizing. She would memorize Shakespeare. She would, you know, memorize uh, long passages uh, from, you know, African-American writers. She would be trying to fill her heart and her head with um, information, with wisdom. And then when she finally did start to talk again, she was like this changed person. I mean, that voice she had, even as a young woman, was so compelling and powerful. And when you know Bill was thinking about planning his inauguration, he'd always loved the fact that uh, President Kennedy had Carl Sandburg mm-hmm. uh, read a poem, uh, one of his own, at the inauguration. So you know we were kicking around ideas for that, and I suggested Maya Angelou, and, and Bill was immediately uh, receptive, and then she wrote a poem for it. So it was a perfect— A very
0: optimistic poem.
2: Very optimistic poem. The Pulse of the Morning. It was so exciting to have her part of that uh, ceremony. And, you know, there was a lot of optimism, but there was also a reminder
0: of how far we'd come, and yet we still needed to keep going further. I was thinking about this this morning before we we started this interview that— the first real division is gender. Like that's mm-hmm. the first initial division in life is mm-hmm. men, women, mm-hmm. obviously that's getting, uh, we're, we're learning more now. We're realizing it's a spectrum. It's getting, uh, it, it, it's changing and evolving, but that is the first division. And so understanding each other is like the first step. And I think uh, it, it's been seismic mm-hmm. and uh, uncomfortable for a lot of men mm-hmm. and scary and, mm-hmm. and uh, the last couple of years. But there is this necessary we've got to figure this out. We've got to understand each other. And uh, this book goes a long way towards, I think, doing that. It's just very uh, you read it. I'd even read it as a as a this would be good for me to read. Mm-hmm. I, and and or it will be good for my daughter to read this. It just feels like, no, I actually think this is <laughs> this is a really <laughs> good book for men to read. yeah, I would hope so,
2: Conan. I mean, you're one hundred percent right. And I'm not sure all the reasons why we are so divided and so at loggerheads with each other. Uh, And the fact that a lot of what people are um, pointing fingers at and arguing about are really old, old um, problems, whether it's race or gender or religion or ethnicity or immigration status. I mean, things that have been around a long time. And I do think that we're at a pivotal moment in our country's history where people are trying to make sense of what's happening. And a lot of people, like you just said, are trying to say, oh, hey, I've got things to learn. You know, wow, what an opportunity. I can you know, expand my horizons. I can understand more. And some people are saying, I'm not going there. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm digging my heels in right here, and in fact, I'm going to head around and go back from where I came, and I expect others to follow along. So, there's a a, a real I don't want to say philosophical uh, difference, but in some ways, it's a it's an experiential one where people are saying, "Look, okay, yeah, you know what? I, I'm kind of into this new world, and yeah, it's a little bit confusing, and it's not like anything we've had before." But let's make it work. And others are saying, I, I categorically reject it. I'm not changing. And you're going to have to change. And yeah. obviously, in politics, you can be either the happy warrior, the optimist, the, hey, you know, we are the best positioned country in the history of the world to get this right. Or you can be a fearmonger and a demagogue who is going to point out scapegoats and, you know, give you an excuse for how difficult transitions and, and change is. And and that's where we are. And and we've got to bet on optimism. I mean, it's been a kind of congenital American trait uh, mm-hmm. that has gotten us through a lot as we've had to change yeah. who we were and expand the meaning of citizenship and all the rest of it. If we ever quit betting on optimism, you know, the whole American experiment is at risk. So yeah. it, this is this is a book that, yes, we were inspired by these women, motivated by them, but it also does carry that larger message like, hey— It's possible. You know, some of what these women overcame uh, is almost reminiscent of what people are facing today. Mm -hmm. And look, they got through it, we can get through it and come better out the other side amen
0: <laughs> that was uh, and this is,
2: a, this is was Conan good, you O'Brien know. you know religious hour send in your donations
0: the number to donate is 1-800 uh, now the money goes to me um, but it's that's not...
2: that's so he can you know represent the you know the, the
0: way of the truth yes right the, well and also the forward uh, there's this house I have my eye on <laughs> in the Cayman Islands uh, and uh, and there's this really good car um <laughs> <laughs> it's been an uplifting experience for me. I want to say, and I, I know that there's a uh, there's a lot of toxicity around politics and craziness. And what I was really looking forward to today was this book is so not about that. This is right. not a political book. Right. It is uh, just a book about really fundamental human qualities, human qualities uh, that that don't have to be gender specific, but these are women. We're putting the spotlight on women and it was really inspiring. And just, I I was very happy to get a chance to sit down and say, I need a dose of this optimism. And this was really nice. So I, you know, thank you for agreeing to come here. And uh, this very nice hotel that we booked.
4: <laughs> well, uh, this was not
0: cheap, you. by no, the way. Yeah. Thank not, you for
3: having us. Um, so have
0: you revised your feeling about being? No. Because I was going to say, no. the Joan of Arc thing creeped me out, frankly. <laughs>
1: wow. I no
0: longer want to be your
1: friend. <laughs> well, gosh. We, we sure wouldn't let I her, kill her kill take matches with her. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you definitely wouldn't let me have matches anyway, probably, until I graduated from high school.
0: <laughs> well, that day, they really didn't want you to Yeah, have the
2: Joan have of Arc thing was, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't that
0: literal. Yeah. Yeah, we would all open out the door but as Joan of Arc. Were, were you and your husband <laughs> at all like that's a little That's uh, a little extreme, the Joan of yeah.
2: Arc. Right. be safe and and call us if you. <laughs>
0: what, what, what happened to the ice cream <laughs> cone, Right, like what
2: happened to the ice
3: cream <laughs> cone is probably what
0: my mom. You, know, was you could be Wonder Woman or Dora <laughs> the Explorer. Uh, you know,
3: my daughter was Wonder Woman one year. Oh, was she? That's
0: cool. That's a good costume. Yeah, we it, love. It was her. a great
3: costume. I was and Wonder
0: Woman uh, four years ago.
3: <laughs> oh, how did that? I work was, out for you? I was
0: escorted to a police station, which is another story. Uh, no, I'm, we're not telling that story. Oh, okay, <laughs> the be, next time. Uh, yeah, that would be uh, seriously. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here uh, and the book. Once again, uh, the book of gutsy women. I have a 16 year old daughter, and I'm giving her three copies of this, uh, and she will uh, she will have them all. Great, and, uh, thank you. And great. I'm going to give my son a copy okay. of this book as well. Thank you, thank you, and thank uh, you. when I get him to stop playing. Whatever game he's playing on the internet right now.
2: But, you figure out how to say you know read a chapter and then you can have another hour or two of you know playing the game. You know
0: you don't even know what the games are. Babe. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I could see you going, and then you can go back to uh, playing the games, the games, games
2: whatever the games are. <laughs> yeah,
0: thank you both very much. This was a real joy. Thank Thanks you so much, thank Conan. You Conan. It
2: was a lot of fun.
0: needs a friend is sponsored by adt introducing adt self-setup featuring everything from motion sensors to google nest cam and the nest doorbell with a battery or wired option your choice easily install the adt self-setup security system at your convenience you don't need heavy-duty tools and if you do need help adt can provide virtual assistance along the way self-setup from adt grows moves and adapts as your needs change You can add more products at any time, and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. It also features Nest Cams that can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. These things are getting so smart. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just one quick tap. Now everyone can get trusted security from ADT installed your way with no long-term contracts. When the most trusted name in home security as the intelligence of Google, well, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are all trademarks of Google, LLC.
4: Do you guys want to check in on a voicemail? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, with some trepidation. You're safe. It's good. Okay. Uh, Will, if you could play it, please. Hey, Conan, Uh, this is Mark, and I live in Twin Falls, Idaho. Hey, I know you're a
0: big fan of history stuff, and my parents are coming out here this summer, and there's not really much history in Twin Falls, or there might be, I don't know. But I was wondering if you could maybe make up a fake history story that I could trick my parents with about the Twin Falls area. Thanks. Okay, well, that's an interesting challenge. Um, You could say that uh, it's very little known fact that during his very short tenure as president— Gerald Ford went missing for a while. (laughs) He was only president for about two years. Uh, He was, of course, the interim president between Nixon and Carter. But uh, little known fact, sometime around 1975 in the fall, Ford disappeared. They didn't know where he was. Ford, of course, famously played football in college. Some people thought that he had sustained a lot of concussions. In just a a moment of dementia from one of his many concussions, left the White House because he was under the belief... (laughs) that he was a mailman
1: (laughs) who uh, worked
0: in Twin Falls, Idaho. So the Secret Service went looking. They didn't know where he was. And it's 1975. They didn't have all the kind of GPS tracking they have today. And they found him as a letter carrier in Twin Falls, Idaho. Uh, He was revived. He was reassured that he was the president of the United States. He was given some smelling salts. Uh, They applied a hot mustard plaster (laughs) to his chest. And over a period of time, he recovered. And he finished out his presidency. But for two and a half months, in the fall of 1975, President Gerald Ford was a letter carrier in Twin Falls, Idaho.
1: How did he get to
0: Idaho? Well, he hitched a ride. Okay. He hitched for a while, and some hippies picked him up, and they are like, hey man, you look like uh, Gerald Ford, man. (laughs) he's like, I don't know who I am. And, you know, they were like, yeah, we're hippies, man. I mean, yeah, the 60s are over, man, but not that far over. Yeah, man. They're only like five years ago, man, the 60s. So, like, it's plausible that we're still hippies, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. And these hippies (laughs) talked exclusively about how they were still... Hippies in 1975. They were
1: justifying their existence.
0: That's all they pretty much talked about. And so that's how Ford was able to get away with. They didn't ask Ford a lot of questions because they spent most of the ride in this VW bus justifying, yeah, man. I mean, it's plausible, man. It's like
4: 69. is like Woodstock. And this is like six years later, man. Yeah, man. Totally plausible, man. How did Ford get the job, or was he just doing it as a hobby? Well, first of all, he had an excellent resume. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had—
1: he, he had his resume on him?
4: Yeah, he had, he had lost— a, He had a forethought to bring his resume. He had
0: lost— You know, first of all, I mean, he had lost a lot of his, uh, you know, memory, but he did remember— Uh, You know, that he had been on the Warren Commission. (laughs) He did remember that he had served faithfully in the Congress uh, and that uh, he and that he also remembered being very well. He remembered being vice president. And uh, so he just forgot the president part. (laughs) And did his wife go with him or he just. Took off. Huh? No, no, no. He totally was so happy to just take a break.
1: <laughs> Wait, going back to his resume, you said he put he was a president on the resume, but that he no, forgot. Oh, he did. said was vice
0: president. Uh huh. You got to listen in improv. I'm sorry. So he remembered he was vice president. Uh-huh. He remembered that he was vice president. He just didn't know what he was president. Oh, okay. He forgot for uh, Nixon's resignation. Look, these questions didn't make what I said any funnier. It they, didn't.
1: No, <laughs> but I'm just trying I'm to trying, figure it you're out. You're
0: blaming the questions? Uh, yeah. Uh, what I'm doing oh. is I'm hang gliding beautifully and you guys are throwing bank safes <gasps> at me. With your questions. Uh-huh. Catch this. And that's hurting my beautiful arcing dives, my twirls, my pirouettes, if you will. Anyway. All right, let's let you hang glide. We'll back off. Just, yeah. Yeah, go for it. Anyway, that was, I thought that was a pretty good answer.
4: That was good. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. With Sona Obsession and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Beckton.
3: Watch John Mulaney Presents, Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live
1: at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.